You're listening to Two Guys Talking Wine with Michael Pincus and Andre Prue. Hello, Michael. Uh, Andre, how the hell are you? I'm uh, a little tired, but uh, doing pretty good. Um, yeah, well, why, it, why it, are you tired these days? Uh, I think it's just, they're saying the COVID fatigue, it's that amplified with fatigue fatigue. It's just, I'm just tired all the time these days. You know what it is, this 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 COVID fatigue is, you know, uh, I think is is going to be a, a, a downside of this whole thing. Um, as obviously we're seeing the numbers spike, you, uh, you came down this weekend, but you did not see anybody. Uh, you were checking on your, your own personal wine. I, I know that, yep. but, socially, uh, socially Toronto shutting down so- like, uh, anyway, I don't know if we, we should be talking COVID because we have somebody more interesting in the, uh, I know it feels like only video. yesterday that we last had this guest on the podcast and somehow this year feels like both the longest year and the quickest year I've ever lived through. But it, I have uh, no idea how he's doing another release. And again, it's Thomas Batchelder. Thomas, how the hell are you? I'm pretty good, man. It's been a long day and it's been a long harvest. 2020, fantastic harvest. But uh, yeah, I'm uh, I'm ready to taste some wine here. Yeah, Thomas, and, uh, I haven't, I haven't and seen... And the Liberation has not happened? No. J'attends la Liberation. I'm waiting for the Allies to come and spring us. I, I so wanted to come and... See you and Erica sit in the backyard on your famous patio, but uh, little did we know that we all could have done that this summer because the numbers were non-existent in the pandemic around here in Niagara. Fair enough. And Thomas, I haven't seen you since the day that we were both harvesting Chardonnay from the Wilms Vineyard. Yeah, and that's why I'm especially... uh, especially interested to taste Wilms with you, the new version thereof, but that'll have to be for another week because we're on Pinot Noir tonight. So we are on Pinot, and Thomas, I, I guess I got to ask this really quick question. So I think it was back in April, you you released the uh, the Violette, uh, and we figured that would be it for your releases in uh, 2020, but you've now graced us with another four Pinots. What, what gives? So, I, you know, we were never sort of smart enough or fast enough with all the balls we keep in the air to get our a retail permit. People call it a tasting room permit, but it's a retail permit, which in our days means you can reach out to people via the Internet or any other way. So we had a backlog of some single vineyards. You know, you can't say to your exporters, look, I got 20 cases of Lowry up back, you know, still, will you please take it? You can say that, but, you know, they're not going to mop up every bottle for you. So you've got to sell locally. And our higher end stuff is harder to get into the restaurants because you've got to mark it up. Um, although this release is, you know, a lot, all these, a lot of these reds are available at uh, Rafino's, the old back house in Niagara Lake. But um, what I wanted to say was um, that uh, we have an idea where the Violet release, named for my daughter's birthday on April 2nd, our daughter's birthday, will be mostly Gamay and and some of the village. So Gamay has, Gamay has, you know, a violet or a violet color, uh, hue. And uh, the Toussaint, which is the day after Halloween or the All Saints in English, is, is a day that's marked in France. They don't mark Halloween, but they do mark uh, the Toussaint. Uh, and so I thought, hey, let's release our, our, our best single vineyards of Pinot and Chardonnay, what this, you know, Batchelder was founded on, the single vineyards. Uh, we love it when people like our blends, uh, but but the single vineyards is what we're here to do. And and so our, all our saints are, are out on November 1st every year, our two saints. So they're sainted to us. Whether they're sainted to other people is another thing. We shall see. Andre, you got a question before we start? No, let's just dive right in. We've got our, our bottles ready to go. Thomas emailed us prior to the podcast asking if we should decant the wines beforehand. I went ahead and opened my bottles at 5 p.m. I didn't pour them in a decanter, but the bottles have been patient, patiently sitting there. And um, for some reason, the bedroom where I record this podcast is cellar temperature, so it is a bit chilly in here, and I think it's definitely going to do some favors for the wines, but we're uh, starting with, what, the 2018 Wismer Park uh, Pinot Noir. It's also so, nice yeah. to know that we are not, we're not on video, so nobody can pull a Jeffrey Tubin. <laughs> 
Well, I do have my video on, so you can't say, if you look, you'll see that my uh, chair matches my pants, but uh, that's for later. <laughs> unless, unless it suddenly doesn't. <laughs> my, I have my chair is tartan and my pants are also tartan, I just realized. So that's quite a, a Christmassy theme for November, uh, green and red tartan. But uh, gents, What's I want to... What's that purple thing in your hand, Thomas? Oh, that's a glass of wine. <laughs> I wanted to say that uh, the uh, the um, the thing about the single vineyards uh, this year is that uh, we have uh, two parcels within a parcel, uh, the Wild West End of Wismer Park and the 1984 plantation of Lowry, the original Five Rows. Um, but what's why I only have those four wines is because we actually it's such a short crop in 18 that we we didn't make any village in 18 so we're, wow. we can't wait to bottle some village yeah this is it man this is a you know six bottles the 12 barrels of 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 single vineyard pinot that's it everything else went down to parfum which is sort of our restaurant pour god willing the the restaurants have have suffered so much and we hope they're back soon but anyway uh so Wismer Park is 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 the one to start with. That's the Vineland bench on red clay soil. And uh, Michael, when did you open your bottles? I actually just opened them uh, now. Okay, well, I have a little confession. This is going to be very interesting. I brought home from the cellar. Uh, we have a young lady helping us, Caitlin McParland, who's out at uh, Niagara College. She's uh, studying, and she's helping me do the readings on this here Chardonnay. Uh, Andre, you were just referring to your Wilms, and our Wilms, uh, you know, we're checking all of our 10 lots of Chardonnay to see that the sugars keep going down and, and they don't stick. And um, so, so at the end of the day, we gave her a bunch of... Um, a bunch of the open bottles from the tasting room because we weren't, you know, going to do any more visits till next weekend. And uh, I go in there today and I find all these wines again, half empty and some on Coravan. I said, I thought we gave those away. And Mary goes, well, those ones are three or four days year old. And I'm like, well, they're on Coravan. So my point is the three of us have these wines at different stages. <laughs> and I will be able to tell you with some some accuracy how they're good after three or four days on Coravant or not. So let's jump in whenever you guys are ready. Well, I'm, I'm tasting the uh, the Wismer Park. Yeah. And um, Andre, you said you had yours open for an hour, but you didn't really decant or anything. You just you just opened the cork, correct? Yep, that's right. It was, it was more, I guess it's close to two hours that it's been open now, but... So, so... Again, I, I really don't know why you would have done that because I don't know if it really changes the wine. The air can't get out of that much, but um, I, I think this is uh, this is quite lovely, uh, Thomas. Uh, lots of violet and floral notes, uh, typical cran cherry, uh, nice minerality. The acidity is good. Um, uh, I, I think it's it's. I hate to say it, but it's pretty typical Ontario Pinot. Well, you know, the thing is, I'm glad, don't hate to say that. One of the things I look forward to uh, doing the podcast with you guys, it's sort of, it's an intellectual sparring match. Not that in that we spar with each other so much as, as all three come out with these, uh, these forceful opinions, uh, considered opinions, all three are capable of segues. Uh, but just when, you know, one has said something and Andre pipes up to Michael and says, I disagree, or vice versa, uh, you know that the guy who says he's disagree, what the other guy said is still working on his brain, and he may find it later on, he may never find it, but it made him think, and, and that's what I really enjoy about it. I like the texture uh, but Whisper of this Park, one. Do you agree with that, Andre? Mike, Michael hit the, nail on the, hit the nail on the head with his tasting note, but I think the one thing that he omitted is just the, the texture of this wine. Like, it's got a really actually, nice broad texture on the back, on the back palate that, you know, it, it's, it is fairly typical of Niagara, but it's typical oh. Niagara on the higher end for sure. I, 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 was, I just wrote down about the texture because it was the last note I was writing. I, I find this very silky. Like, I, yes. I really like what's, what's going on here. I don't know if broad was the word, but I, I just there's a really lovely, pretty silkiness to this wine. It's that, silky, but you know, it, it once covers you the get whole it, back. Went down your gullet and into the back of the throat, uh, it just it goes down easy. It it 
covers that whole like that whole back palate like it's it's caressing the tongue on the way down like it's it is quite broad but silky and the, the tannin is super super soft and integrated in this yep. yeah, yeah the tannins are ripe and of course in warmer years like 18 that's our biggest worry right you could pick a little early to avoid sugars i mean we all like the seeds to be brown which means full technological uh, technical ripeness but uh what 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 you can't do is change the essence of a hot year. Uh, but what you what you can do is long elevage. And I find that plus the wild yeast gives you good complexity and, and, and all that sort of texture you guys are talking about. We do have a, to me, on the back palate, a savory note and maybe even a note of anise, not quite licorice like in the big reds, but it's a bigger it's a bigger year and this is Wismer Park like the one we've always made which I used to call West but now I can't because there's a there's a plot further west which we'll get to in a sec but I did want to say that the red soils of Wismer Park which are you know if you've ever been to Vineland it's sort of just above the IGA which is down on the flats across the street and up on the first bump of the bench on the uh, east side of Victoria that's Wismer Park uh, not too far from Cloudsley Winery. Cloudsley Winery is further south than that and a little more towards Jordan. It's roughly at the same altitude as the Closure Dan, a little closer to the lake, perhaps, just because of that's the way the escarpment works. But unique that the Closure Dan doesn't have, or anything in Beamsville, is these red soils that bring this irony taste. And, and I really, I don't know how many glasses you guys have, but if we could come back to either this or the Wild West End after doing Lowry, uh, we, we'll really see that sort of iodine-y, uh, rusty flavor from the iron and magnesium in the soils. Interesting. So while, while I'm uh, thinking about it, uh, Thomas, uh, and for any listener who's uh, who doesn't know, why was 18 a short crop? Well, 18 was a short crop, um, and, you know, like... 14 was a short crop because of winter kill, but 14 was also a short crop because 13 was so big and the plants went into the winter a little enfeebled. Uh, and so they, they they can't defend themselves when you take too big a crop off them. But sometimes nature frustrates your efforts as a vigneron by pruning and by green harvest. The grapes just keep swelling and you get a big crop. That happened in 13 and 17. And so 17, it was a good winter between 17 and 18, but 17 had such a big crop that naturally the vine, who's a mama, she decided to have less babies the next year, aided and abetted by the extremely dry and hot summer when rain was not always there when you wanted it. And then we harvested during for Pinot and Chardonnay, we harvested like at 31 degrees, not early though, middle to late September. That's the beauty about Niagara's cool climate. We just pull it back from the brink of being warm climate some years and still make what I consider a fairly classic wines, fairly European style wines, even even in the, uh, in the warmer years. Uh, but maybe before I talk so much, we should, uh, any more about that subject, we should, we should see if you think Wild West is, is, is still as cool as, as Wismer Park. You know, it's it's interesting just thinking about the 18, 18 vintage uh, because it was that... I, I forgot that the summer was hot because the fall was so crappy. Like, yeah, I know for up, rain, and down, up and down. I know yeah. for, for people working with Pinot Noir, Chardonnay, Gamay, anything that ripened early, it was, you know, decent vintage conditions. But, like, I just remember the fall being so difficult for people working with uh, the Bordeaux varieties. Oh, yeah. And even my latest gamets, when they came in, we had trouble getting a ferment going because I'm all outside on the crush pad with my small bins at, at Southbrook, you know, and then we take them over to Batchelder at the back cave in Beamsville. But I got to tell you, the first ones, it was like trying to put the brakes on because you were fermenting 32 outside. How do you keep the cool in the vat? And later on, it was like it was 16 just three weeks later. It's like, what? And raining all the time. You're actually right. Your memory is correct, as, uh, you know. And so it was hard to get the ferments going. Wild ferments, they like 20 degrees, you know, 20 Celsius to get going. Uh, they can get going cooler. And then they eventually crank up their own heat in there. As we've said before on this podcast, uh, the byproduct of sugar fermenting is alcohol. That's the one 
people remember. If you press them, they'll say, oh, yeah, CO2, right? But the one they, they often forget is heat. The third byproduct of many is heat. So a fermentation naturally cranks on its own. And those little bins, we can get up as high as 35, and that risks uh, not only extracting a lot at 35, but it risks arrêt de fermentation, a stuck fermentation, which we didn't have this year. But and we didn't get to 35, but it was warm. So should we in move the on to days. speaking of wild uh, ferments? Should we move on to the Wild West uh, Pinot now? Mm-hmm. So Andre, I, I've I've been tasting it while uh, while Thomas is talking, which is usually what happens when Thomas is talking. Yeah, I need a Good. drink. Um, so. I, I'm I'm gonna let uh, let Andre start with this one. It's you know what it's surprising how different this is from the regular Wismer Park, and I'm looking forward to Thomas explaining why it's different. But if the Wismer Park is is silk, you know this is a little bit more denim. Like it's got a little bit of um, of grip to the the tannin, but also it's just a little bit more bold in its fruit profile to me. I know you said the last one was cherry cranberry. This is definitely cherry cranberry. We've got the violet notes, but it's also pushing in like a, a blackberry. Um, you know, it's just got a little bit more complexity and depth to the, to the fruit profile on it. Um, and the, the texture is still, it's still quite big on the back palate, but it's got a bit of grip on the way, on the way down. Is so it why- rustic or is it fine? No, this one's this one's still fine. Uh, m- my note here: the first thing I I wrote, uh, just smelling it and then tasting it was this one's got it's it's more muscular. Yes, I know we're not allowed to do the feminine, uh, uh, masculine. Uh, uh, I think talking I think about mus- wine I think, anymore. I think muscular, but I think this alternative. this one's just got a a little bit more meat on its bones. So it's 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 and I agree totally with you, Andre. It's still got the cherry and it's still got the cranberry, but it's it's. In, into the darker range of those fruits, whereas the the Wismer Park on its own uh, was very light, delicate, easy. This one, this one punches you in the in the tongue a little bit, but with that velvet glove. Yeah, t- totally. Uh, and I, you know what, Michael? Actually, I like muscular. It's a great it's a great alternative to to masculine, feminine. Good, good on yeah, you. because women can be muscular too, especially these days. Everybody works out. Well, everybody worked out three. Recovered, so yeah, everybody's got the abs these days. So I I wanted to add to what you guys said by telling a little bit about it. So Craig Wismer, whose family owns about 300 acres up on the Vineland bench and elsewhere, but mostly the Vineland bench. So if if the uh, if the Jordan bench is is largely you know owned by the Clojure Dan Flat Rock. Uh, and of course, uh, uh, Westcott and a little bit of, of Taz on the other side that used to be Cave Springs. Uh, when you cross over uh, Balls Falls and, and the um, Twenty Mile Creek, it's all it's all Wismer over there, with with the exception of uh, a, a few vineyards like Kelly Mason's Vineyard and uh, Flat Rock, uh, not Flat Rock, but uh, Featherstone. And um, by that, I'm talking about the corridor, right? I'm not talking about all of Jordan and all of Vineland. I'm talking about the corridor right around Victoria on both sides. So my my Vineland uh, corridor also extends, of course, to uh, to Vineland Estates and, and Moritas up there with Ridge Point and, of course, Seb up at Megalomaniac. So there's a Vineland flavor and, and there's uh, there's a Jordan flavor that I'm recognizing more and more. But but down on the first rise of the bench off the highway, uh, that's where the Wismers have most of their land. And they have Wismer Park, P-A-R-K-E. And it, it, that red soil I was talking about, I always found fantastic. And I would choose the barrels that had the most of this gritty, uh, savory, um, you know, rusty, bit your tongue, iodine flavor, which I suggest you'll see more of once we've tasted the Lowry's. Uh, but then Craig Wismer calls me up one day and says, will you come visit the vineyard with me? And he shows me these last 10 rows uh, where the rows are pretty short and they're sloping down towards the west, towards Hamilton. Uh, and he says, this is a mystery clone. 
And so I got two and a quarter barrels out of it the first year, which is this year, 18. And we've done it two years since. And it was immediately all the things you guys described in the barrel. And so I had written in chalk on my barrels for two years, mystery clone. But then I thought, because we don't know the name of the clone, and because it's wilder than the other one, Sauvage, uh, let's call it Wild West. But then I had all these visions of, of, of you know, wanting to put a Western label on it. It's, it's the Wild West of Wismer Wheatfield. It's not the Wild West. Although there is an Oregon, Oregonian streak running through this, maybe. But I'll still say I called it Wild West End uh, to honor Mark Knopfler and Dire Straits, who were a, a formative band in my existence. And, you know, I, w- I want to say that in some ways Mark Knopfler taught me how to play lead guitar, but I can't play anything like him. But I did get a steel guitar uh uh, at the end of the summer, so I can learn some finger picking on a resonator. So I, I, I thought maybe it was a a, a nod to uh, Will Smith. No, okay, no, just, nobody's just seen that. Like that movie is awful, Michael. Like that's not even a decent it, reference. It is. It's a horrible movie, but you you, you can't uh, uh you know you can't count for taste in some people. I guess. Yeah. Well. So, so Thomas, um, like not making any village from 2018 and, and the short crop, like I know, I know with how you make your wine, you've talked about it on the podcast before is, you know, it's barrel selections for what goes into these um, small, single vineyard and, and single plot selections. Was it more of a challenge to um, keep the, the, the winemaking at a high quality working with uh, fewer pieces? That's a great question. I was just having a cracker. Well, the answer is our restaurant cuvee, um, which is called Parfum and in the perfume and in in Chardonnay called Mineralité. um, Those wines get a bit of, you know, on the red side, Wismer Park and Lowry too. But our village, we won't do village with vineyards that aren't single vineyards because, for instance, next week when you guys taste Wilms, Wismer Wingfield West and Wismer Foxcroft Chardonnay and the village before or after it's those three wines only in the village but the second best barrels besides what I didn't choose the third best barrels still damn good go down to Mineralite and Parfum sort of like our regional wines and there's other vineyards in those that just don't have single vineyard distinctiveness they can be lovely pinot they can be lovely chardonnay but to me to make a single vineyard you have to have something you can hang your hat on as a taster in burgundy when you do a single vineyard it's because it says in a book this is a single vineyard this is a premier crew here you have to decide on your own so to answer that question to the letter since there were no village i could still make the same declassification but painfully the the barrels I didn't choose went all the way down to the $24 wine. And so that's partially why I loved the uh, Parfum so much this year is because they have them in it. And I guess the awful part of uh, being a consumer is if you're excited for the Parfum, there's some, I guess, higher quality wines that have worked their way into that. Is that sort of how that works? That's right. Yeah, But they would have a higher percentage, yeah, than they normally would because you don't have the village standing in the way. But... Um, it's so so fun to look at. I mean, the Batchelder mission has changed from when can we, you know, when can we have our own land and just be solid? I'd like to do a little organic vineyard. I still would somewhere somewhere along the bench, um, but it's changed to while we're waiting. Why don't we go to the edge of Hamilton, right down to Four Mile Creek, and see how many cool old vine sites we can pull up and try to define uh you know niagara in real time uh doing everything the same way one of the things i gotta out myself about these four wines is there are zero new oak in these i was just afraid with the small quantities i you know andre you're a winemaker now too so you know with the small quantities i had so uh you know like four barrels in the wismer park and two in the wild west end where are you going to put the new oak if I put one new oak in the, um, then I'm immediately 25%. Yep. And, it, you know, new. And if it doesn't work with the year, I'm like, ugh. And then also I have the other thing of if I put 25% uh, new oak in, 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 in the Wismer Park, 
and then none in the Wild West End, then I'm not kind of doing them the same way. So when the quantities are greater and you have, let's say you're putting out seven barrels, then you can, you, you know, you can sneak in a subtle new oak and have it be a low percentage. And then it brings lots to the party. Um, I can't wait for you guys to taste Lowry. It's it's still just amazing to me to, um, you know, to just getting a better understanding of how a, a barrel program works and, and buying barrels. And and I've, I've never had the opportunity to work with uh, a new barrel for the stuff that we're doing with, um, with, with ADX, but just sort of that inconsistency that you get with quality of barrels, even if you buy the best barrel from the best producer, it doesn't guarantee that you're going to get a desired result in the wine so it's always a, a risk even if you're investing in very good wood you know where i was very lucky myself was working at lemelson vineyards i was the first no first of all chateau Jeanneau boulanger and merceau they had 25 hectares not 25 acres and then uh, lemelson uh you know uh, out in oregon they had, uh, you know, uh, about uh, 60 hectares. So that was big. And Leclo had 56 hectares when I helped come to start it. So when you have that, and these are still small enterprises, right? Small high-end places, because you're only making like 10,000 cases a year. And when you have a vat that contains 25 barrels worth once pressed out, if you did, you know, if you're doing uh, 10% new oak, that's a uh, 2.5 five barrels but if you're doing 20 percent new oak that's five barrels so even if you go to 25 or 30 percent new whatever you choose you you can run trials there and since you're doing a village too you can put the most pristine new barrels along with good used barrels in your single vineyard and help define that single vineyard so that that little bit more of quantity got me to really cut my chops like the jazz men say about, you know, cutting their chops on their saxophone or their guitar or whatever. And what it allowed me to do is say, as Andre says, it is true that you can't just order off a form from a tonnerie and get what you think you're going to get. But after a few years of, of experience trying different oak forests and different toasts with a few coopers, uh, a truth starts to emerge, you know, just just like just like asking a vigneron if it, 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 do you cheat? Do you put Lowry into Wismer Park if it's not good enough? Well, of course not. That's my raison d'etre. So wood guys, winemakers have cheated, I'm sure. And wood guys have cheated. But in general, what they're trying to do is deliver a forest and the specificities of that forest to your door. So if you start to work with a good one and they visit Canada regularly and you can say, hey, your toast's not working for me here. I'm going to have to switch to something else, you know, or. And so these forests of Burgundy, like Allier, Vosges, Bourgogne, Jura, those are the forests that surround Burgundy. I tend to work with those because they deliver the tightness. They have thick staves and they hold in the CO2 and they keep the sometimes a bit fragile or at least vulnerable Pinot Noir fresh right to the end of the 20 months. So there's a there, there's the start of a talk uh, uh, about the obsession we do on on wood. So it cannot taste like wood, not so it tastes like wood, you know. Okay, Lowry Old Vines, these are the 1993 plantation and the 1988 plantation. So yeah, I've been tasting it, Thomas, and um, uh, like – here, I don't know, Andre. Have you tasted it first of all before I go any further? Yes, I have. Okay. Uh, what I find about this wine here is it's like pure delicacy, as in not a pure delicacy, as in well, that's a delicacy. I mean, it's very delicate. I, uh, I agree with that. Yeah, it's that's ex- it, the, the color. You can like I could read a book through that. Um, it's also amazing it's, too. Like, um, I just took a quick look at the alcohol content. Like, given the hot 2018 summer, I would have expected the Lowry site to give you a little bit more alcohol. But the uh, Wismer Park is 13 and a half, and Lowry is 13. Isn't that amazing? So, but I but I find a lot of this also to be very muted. Uh, there is some minerality. Uh, there is some acidity here. There's a touch, just a touch of, of a savory note. It's very perfumed, but more on the mouth than it is on the palate. Uh, like there's a, there really is this, that really delicate Pinot here 
that uh, I'm, I'm still struggling to find fruit, but I still like the wine. And yeah, vanilla. that's beautifully said. There's a great vanilla note to this, too, that just wasn't as apparent on the on the Wismer Park. Um, but yeah, delicate is a, is a great way to describe this. Like, it is... And, ooh. you know, I, I struggled. I, I'm going to, you know, fill in some of the blanks here because you guys are saying exactly what I feel about it. Like, for instance, to, to go with Michael's thing, uh, for the Lowry... Uh, the 93 plantation is sort of the darkest color, if we can use darkest and this light color to wine. Uh, and the 88 has the most weight. We'll get to the 84 later, but those two together make a lovely wine, still old wines. Lowry has a newer plantation across the way that Adamo is making some great wine out of, uh, along with, I think, uh, maybe Fielding good old Richie Roberts. But the thing is, though, that there's a lot of flavor in these wines, and they take a long time to give it up. The vines are old, the flavor's there, but in sort of a delicate package, I agree. But I learned a long time ago, but it took me a long time to learn it, that you gotta pour, if the wines have guts and core strength, like a ballerina, my wife's a ballerina, if if you, if you did it for years and years and years, uh, if you put a wine like that after a bigger beast, especially like Wild West End, if it's a diluted wine that has too much yield and has an aqueous side to it, it's going to fall down after something like Wismer Park Wild West End. However, if it has a, a tensile strength and a, and a coiled up core, it will defend itself. So amazing that you guys were able to taste this more delicate wine, yet see its power, because we're purposefully tasting it after after the Wild West End. It's exactly like trying to have a Chambeau Musigny or a Volnay after a big Gevre Chambertin Premier Cru. They're different, but equal. It's it's just it's got that really nice concentration of flavors in spite of its delicacy. Like it's it's a pretty wine. Yeah, that's, and uh, that's exactly what it is. It's just it's just pretty, and I, I'm I'm again I'm still struggling for fruit, but it's it's just pretty. It's one of those wines you can just keep sipping on, hoping to find fruit at some point, but still really enjoy it. Uh, well, I'm, Michael I'm and I, you were on a call the other day with me, and we were talking about another wine, and one of the things people thought it was an easy drinker sooner i think that like this one you you're right on it like this one it isn't giving it up tonight you're gonna have to wait for this one and that's the conundrum for new wine drinkers which none of us are but for new wine drinkers to believe that a medium body delicate wine will actually be better in the future is a tough lesson to learn but it will i never say how long wines will last i think how long do i expect them to improve and i think this one's going to improve for another you know for another five six years so in other words maybe until eight years after the vintage 2026 anybody who still has you know any of this left and given the quantities that were produced like not even <laughs> okay i'm ready for the uh i'm ready for the 1984 all right and it says we just poured it in my glass the color seems to be almost like almost identical to um uh to the uh, just to the Low- I guess uh, Lowry, <laughs> above yeah, but if Lowry, not paler, it might even be paler. It might be, but I, I'm looking at it. I'm thinking it, it might be just just the the same. Again, you could read a book through this thing. There's no, I, I have no doubt I could. Uh, I haven't stuck my nose in the glass or anything, but uh, but here goes. Okay, and uh, so you can taste it. I'll say this: one of the great shifts with. Uh, with the new sommelier generation and the new wine writers and the new bloggers, sort of Andre's age and even younger, I pour them, my generation, Michael, you're younger than me, but broadly speaking, our generation of Pinot Noir lovers struggled to find more color in Pinot until the tides turn and people realize, I don't want any more of these Pinots that have had a cold soak for 32 days. They just taste like, you know, stewed plums. So people started backing off and then it became kind of cool not to have to extract everything you could out of a Pinot. But these young sums are going, your latest one in the cellar, they'll go, whoa, I love the color of that. I think 
for them, it's some sort of hero badge that you just let it be and didn't try to get more than. And this is the part of the podcast where because we used Zoom meetings for free because we can't afford the premium, um, the meeting cut out and we didn't get a clean edit to rejoin with Thomas. So this is us going right into the next part of this podcast. So uh, I would love to tell you guys just a short dissertation, really short on on the color of Pinot Noir. There was a there was a thing in Burgundy where they were making such pale pale pinots due to too much potassium in their fertilizers back in the 70s and 80s. And so people like American importers like Bobby Kotcher and Kermit Lynch were like, "Come on guys, you got to lower the yields and 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 do a little more new oak." And Robert Parker, fresh from his success in in, in Bordeaux, started saying, "Yeah, yeah, unfiltered all the time and you know, macerate, macerate. Well, in Oregon and California, they just went wild with this. Of course, the burgundies got darker and more impenetrable, but then California was doing it and Oregon was doing it. Everybody was making massive, long, cold soaks at the beginning. So you'd start with a, a, a deeper, denser purple than even Gamay, and it didn't make sense. So, uh, you know, um, my generation, we started to pull back a little, a little less new wood to needed to impress you know, a little less maceration. The hell with the cold soak if you didn't need it in certain years. If you were getting good color right from the stemming of the grapes, you didn't worry about it. More classically Burgundian. So everybody's backed off a bit. But the new generation of sommeliers, bloggers, influencers, wine lovers, they rock up and they look up at, at, at a pale uh, wine like our Les Naturistes Gamay or our Lowry Pinot and they go, I love it. How'd you get such a color? And it's it's not even a backhanded compliment. It's just like they understand intrinsically that if you've let something out the door with that color, that there's no way you you fricked with it. You know, you just let it be itself. And I think they appreciate that of it. I mean, I'm not against a dark colored Pinot. I just won't push it to get it if a vineyard can't get it. If a vineyard can't give that color easily, fine to be lighter. As long as it has flavor, as well, long as you have big flavor, then you are not uh, dilute your really true elegance. Um, so maybe maybe the question I have is, is 2018 was a, a hot summer, and I know you, you talked about the condition that the plants, um, like the, 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 the vines were actually in prior to the growing season. Um, why weren't you able to get the color from the Lowry 84 plantation that we end up with something so pale well I, I i never really get much color from lowry i think it's a combination of um you know uh leclo did it for many years you you drop your yields low but you've got to drop your yields low with older plants to find out new plantations like the clo when i started there in 03 it's hard to know what's happening until the vines get older you just muddle through and you do your best but with uh, with Lowry, they're old vines. They get a fair amount of crop off that vineyard. They're they're vigorous souls down there. As 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 the bench in St. David's Bench tails off towards uh, Four Mile Creek, and those are rich souls soils there. And there's there's water there, and everything the plant needs to be happy, right? But I think it's some magic between how much crop is on the vine, what kind of year you had, and the one everybody forgets the spacing of the vine, not only the width of the row, but the width between the plants. And Lowry is what I love to call lovingly John Deere spacing, meaning they planted it to the width of their tractor back in 84. That was the thinnest tractor. That's what you had a foot on each side or, you know, 40 centimeters on each side. And, and that was it. And, and, and Oregon has some old vine like Irie vineyard has some old vine plantations that you know you could do three cartwheels before you hit a vine going sideways and so when you have less population less individuals per hectare each plant is called upon uh is called upon to do more yield if that makes sense so burgundy has 10,000 uh, plants per hectare and so you know, like that's that is so many plants per hectare, whereas in the new world, 
Laclo, for instance, is planted super tight to 5,500, most vineyards in Niagara would have, you know, 4,000. So maybe in, per acre, maybe 2,000 or less. So if you don't have very many individuals per acre, they're all being pushed a little more to get you the yield you need out of that out of that piece of land. And so Lowry is that magic dance between wide spacings, very few plants per acre or per hectare, and they give a fair amount of crop and they get ripe because it's St. David's bench. But the real, real secret to the color is nobody knows what the hell that clone is. I don't know if it's a Swiss clone. <laughs> I don't know if it's, uh, they say it's 115. I believe it in the 93 plantation. But back in the day in Niagara, it was the Wild West. And I mean, another kind of Wild West. You got some, here, these are Romani Conti plantings. Thanks. Well, wherever the hell they came from, who knew? There were no controls back then. But you're not going to rip a great vineyard out because you don't know what it is. So essentially, Pinot Noir has a thin skin, as we all know, and a big has a white pulp that gives a fair amount of juice. So the thinner the skin or the more the pulp, the less color you're going to get. It's just like, you know, if you like a good Irish tea made of Assam and somebody gives you a few bags or loose tea from Darjeeling, you can macerate Darjeeling tea all day and night. You're not going to get a dark Irish style tea. It just doesn't do it. And it's the same kind of thing. You have to macerate and look for color and flavor within your knowledge of what that vineyard can give. So you would not rock up to Marcenet or Chambon Musigny and demand something taste as deep and rich as, you know, as, as uh, Carneros uh, Pinot from, from California. So you're, you're working with the site and you're working with how many individuals per hectare. This is pretty high level stuff. And I suggest you cut it all out before you put this out. Nope. Every word's going, going in the, in the final edit. Um, that was great. <laughs> um, no, this is, um, like there's a lot going on here. The the um, if you drink with your eyes, it's something that will definitely be exciting to you when you put this in your mouth. Uh, it's it's got a lot of once again. Like I think it, the story with all these wines is just that like glycerol texture uh, that just kind of helps it it caress the back of your tongue. Um, this is a little bit more rich than just the regular old vines Pinot Noir. Uh, I actually got like almost a milk chocolate note on the nose mingling with cherry. Um, and it still just has that very elegant and, you know, sort of s- soft, but, but concentrated feel that we got from the, the, uh, the 2018 um, old vines. It's, it's, uh, yeah. I mean, that's what I got to say about it, Michael. Well, listen, be- Michael, before you jump in, I have never heard any of my wines called milk chocolate. And I have to admit the second, the second Andre said it, I smelt it and I don't know what it is. I think it's something that's subjective. Like- that's he's, he's put it in your head. So now you're smelling it. I, I did know. it too. And then I smelled it three more times and I'm like, he's smoking crack again. <laughs> well, I think what it is, it's, it's low level vanilla. Like, when you, you know, when you've had some milk chocolate from Canada and, and no, I know we have to eat local, but then you have a really, really great Swiss or French uh, milk chocolate and they blow your mind with, again, their glycerol uh, and, and their apparent sweetness and richness and their real vanilla bean thing that they've got going on. So that is such a complex brew when you have great milk chocolate. And we all love dark chocolate because we're told to. So we learn to love no, it. I don't. But, <laughs> Now, when you go to heaven, for sure, they're going to give you the best milk chocolate because they want you to be very happy. The Valrona, the Valrona, like it's like a thirty-eight percent or forty percent. It's not quite a dark. It's, but yeah, it's that's exactly what it is. Like it's very good milk chocolate. Like it just it's, but it's not. You know, it's not like the 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 cocoa note or the mocha note that you get with Bordeaux, obviously, or you know, a really great Cab Franc or Cab Sauv from Ontario in a in a hot vintage. But like, I'm I'm definitely fighting for like the milk chocolate note on this, and and I'm glad that you actually clarified because, uh, as we said on the podcast, my wife is a pastry chef. We don't eat a lot of, you know, entry level chocolate in this house when we're doing chocolate especially with the diet i've been on this year we're reaching for the good stuff and it and 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 michael i know you're gonna say all the kinds of 
other intelligent and pithy things. But I just want to add one thing. We, of course, I don't want necessarily these terroir wines to be spoken of in terms of milk chocolate or even vanilla. I just want you to say, yep, that's Lowry. It's even better this year. And here's why it's got this, this, this. But, you know, we're aging in wood. None of the wood is new. It's, I think, impeccably chosen. These Listen, these wines got the best second and third use barrels in the cellar. My favorite Coopers, the wine that was in them before, went right to single vineyard, did not pass go. So I have all that notated down in my scrawls on the on the barrels, as you guys have seen. And so they got the best barrels. It, that they have enough left over to leave a vanilla or a milk chocolate, not my favorite thing. But listen, within one year, I will guarantee you that even Andre Prue won't be able to find that note because these wines are going to be so seamless. I think they need quite a bit of age, and that's something we have to take up at the end of this. But, Michael, please tell us about this wine. Look, the, uh, I'll, I'll give you the vanilla if, I, if you twist my rubber arm a little bit on that one. Yeah, I'll, I'll go, okay, maybe there's a, there's a subtle vanilla note. This one's got a nice delicacy. There's there's um, there's herbal savory. It's got a little more stuffing than the old vines. Um, it's got real good elegance. This one I found a little fruit up front. I found some nice, you know, really tart sour cherry cranberry, which I expect, but it's kind of hiding in the background behind that herbal savory note. This wine has got an elegance to it. That just it again. I think Thomas said it, it just doesn't want to give it up quite yet, but it's giving up a little more than the straight old vines. Yeah, I, I agree with you totally. And you know, for our younger or our newer, whatever age, sorry, listeners who are trying to come to wine and trying to try things, we always say this: you got to try two of a similar kind of wine on the same night. Pour off half bottles, You use a Coravan, do whatever you have to do to get two wines side by side because you learn so much faster on your, on your journey. And describing these flavors, it isn't easy. Deciding where they're going to go, it isn't easy. What's better than what, you know? But this wine here, the reason I kept it apart, it was, you know, 588 uh, bottles of this. I mean, that is so minuscule. But we're trying to make Ontario happen. We want to Ontario to happen. It's not just to, for Batchelder to get a good score or whatever. Anybody who is working in this industry knows that most of the vines are 10 to 20 years old. So anybody who touches an older vine, it should be a sacred duty in, uh, in Niagara, in all of Ontario. If you've got an older vine in front of you, you need to sort of steward that to the public so they can believe and see what we can do and how all these 10 and 20 year old plantings are going to be holy shit, what a critical mass in another 10 years and ontario will be if it isn't now definitely on the world stage then and so that's what's so important about doing all these little bottlings it's not just to to baffle with bullshit. it's to say okay we got to capture these things and give other people hope because, you know, Burgundy is unaffordable. No, it's not unaffordable. It's not on the shelves. So we need to give people these cool climate limestone-based wines that have individuality. You know, I think it's super important. And um, Michael, especially Michael, but also Andre, would you do me the great favor of going back to the Lowry Old Vines and tell me if it's changed after, after having this? I like what uh, you said. I like what you said about Burgundy, but I mean, it's 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 been one of my favorite things about my own personal kind of wine adventure this year was, you know, when I decided to start working with Pinot Noir in 2019, and naturally, like like Thomas, your wines have always been a bit of an inspiration for me, but it was always the Chardonnay until, you know, I started doing the deep dive. I wrote the piece on underwinereview.ca about uh, Chateau Picard and the the TV show. Yeah, but. The thing I learned this year and the biggest takeaway is, you know, our Ontario wines and, and really great Ontario Pinot, yourself included, on par with the greatest wines of Burgundy. Not yet. But, you know, for 47 or, you know, your old vines, Burgundy here, or your, sorry, your old vines, the 1984 plantation for $65, 
You'd be hard-pressed to find a wine of comparable quality from Burgundy at the same price point. And you're right, they're not on the shelves. The, um, you know, the, the consistency of what's available at the LCBO from Burgundy is a challenge. It makes learning about Burgundy a challenge. And ordering from the Classics catalog is a little bit of Russian roulette. And you're still spending a lot of money on it. You know, Andre, that is so well said. And I hope you always keep such a balanced perspective. I try to as well. Somebody actually poured me two vineyards that touch in Burgundy this week from 05, Jadot, Clos Saint-Denis, and Claude La Roche from Maurice Saint-Denis. I do not live that kind of storied life that people, some people may think I do, where I taste old Burgundy all the time. These two wines were so perfect, I nearly put my head down on the table and softly wept. It was at an outside heated restaurant where we could exchange these things, uh, well spaced out. And I got to tell you, we're we're never, not only not now, we're never going to get to Burgundy. But guess what? It doesn't matter because I want, I don't want my idols to be turned down. They evolved the grape over 2,000 years. They get to run with it. Can we be, though, the go-to place, you know, in the new world? Or even in the old world where you say, God, those Pinots give me so much pleasure and those Chardonnays are so racy. I think we've got it. I, I, I'm not saying I don't love Oregon. I do. I'm not saying I don't love BC. I do. The best, coolest and highest parts of California, South Africa, even Tasmania, and of course, New Zealand and the Alto Adige. Those places are making amazing Pinot. But the one that gets into the wheelhouse of Burgundy is Niagara. So, shamelessly, I need to tell the listeners to this podcast, if you haven't done it yet, go back a few episodes where Michael and I debate what Ontario's grape should be, and I've sort of doubled down on Pinot Noir in that podcast, in spite of the fact that I'm a Chardonnay fan, as everyone knows, but I also, you know, just given what we talked about, about the accessibility of Burgundy, and I don't want to spend much more time on it, I do need to give a shout out to the men de Belen and um, Nicholas Pierce. They have the, uh, it's the Domaine Blenheim Millennial Millennium Series or something similar to that. If you go to Nick Pierce's website, you can see that. We talked to Nicholas Patel about how these wines come to existence, but you can still get your hands on a 1995 Savigny Le Bon for $67 a bottle, which I realize is a lot of money. But if you're new to tasting older Burgundy and you want something that's somewhat accessible, I highly recommend getting your hand on the bottle. And I'm sure Nicholas Pierce would be happy to send that to you. And you know, right, so now, now that we've uh, we, we've exhausted this whole thing, first thing I'd like to to say is that Thomas really can drop the sailor talk when you get a few drinks into him. So uh, <laughs> we got a few for the swear jar. We definitely we were definitely owing some money to uh, Brian Schmidt. I know in last week's episode, my wife owes Brian Schmidt twenty dollars for being the first person to drop the f bomb when we played Psalm Blinders. Uh, but yeah. Hey. So, uh, and a, a real quick, because I know that in our in our next episode, there's no way we're going to have time to talk about it, because if I'm not mistaken, Thomas has got five Chardonnay. Uh, it's actually my nightmare, but uh, I will have to go through it. Yippee! Um, but a, a real quick, uh, very, very quickly, uh, earlier this week, uh, I know Andre and I got to try the new um La Clos Jardin wines uh Thomas uh, hats off to you they're definitely different than than what you've shown us tonight uh, 100% um I thought the Chardonnay was my uh, uh, I I'm and I'm I'm kind of embarrassed to say this I like the Chardonnay better than I like the Pinot Well I think that um yeah I think uh I would love to come back on sometime and taste the 17s against the 18s with you guys for oh. uh I, I, I would be on board with that. The thing, you, you know, the number one comment I have, the review is going to be posted on AndreWineReview.ca. I know, Michael, you probably have yours coming out at MichaelPickusWineReview.com. But uh, the 18s were far more accessible than the 17s. Like when when Artera announced the Clo was coming back, I had the opportunity to taste that 17 Chardonnay and the Pinot several times over a few months. And it took almost eight months before those wines were ready to kind of unlock the goods where both the 18 Le Closure and Le Grand Clos wines are like they're just they're ready to they're ready to rock now 
but they will See, be. That's where, they'll be much better. I, in, they'll be much better in six to twelve months. I would I would disagree a little bit. I think that Chardonnay is definitely ready. Uh, I enjoyed uh, I enjoyed it. Um, but uh, Thomas had made mention that him and I had had, had done a little uh, texting and talking uh, right after the tasting. And um, I I did not find that Pinot accessible. Well, you you and uh, I were you until... and I were actually in full disagreement about the about the Pinot because I had a great the... experience tasting through my Pinot and you like I, I think we both thought that the other one was crazy with just what the notes were. Um, took uh, took two hours for that Pinot to open and and as as Thomas had mentioned, people had asked him how long do you think it will last and everybody was going oh it's it's so approachable now. I I, I didn't find it approachable until the the two hour mark. Uh, so yeah. that's, that's where I stood. So what I want to share with you guys, and what would be fun to do the close someday, 17s versus the 18s, with the close 17s, a more tight year, having one year of bottle age, right? So more than the 18. It'll be interesting to see. But basically where I want to net out on this, I think everything I hear makes good sense from you two because I didn't say everything you say makes good sense. In these current <laughs> remarks, they make good sense because a cooler year like 17 takes has tannins that are on the edge of being green. I didn't say the wine was green. I could say the tannins are on the edge of being green, but the fruit is so pure and raspberry and precise. And in a warmer year, you you know, I'm talking about the downsides. There's a downside of 17. Downside of 18, it's upfront fruit. You think it's great. Better drink it now. It's not going anywhere. Well, you know, both are both are false. Like with a cool year, they age for sure on their acidity and and on their cool fruit flavors. Never forget that it's not just acidity. It's like the way you picked it, the acidity affects the flavors. You can't have, for instance, low acidity and raspberry flavors. It ain't going to happen. If you got low acidity, you're shifting to the strawberry uh, spectrum and even the baked strawberry plummy spectrum with Pinot Noir specifically I'm talking about. So this is just experiential. You know, this is not something I learned in school just over years and years. And so the long elevage of 16, 18, 20, 22 months in barrel for a cool year smooths it out. And to Andre's point, then it's like, you know, it's definitely like when you're a kid, the the and you know a teenager looking at the female librarian she's not going to let her hair down it's tied up in a bun and uh you know whereas when you uh when you look at something like 18 that seems to be so full of fruit and so it can't possibly go anywhere give it long elevage in the barrel and then give it long elevage in the bottle which we all can control and you will see that that wine will age a bit. It has a little, little, little more alcohol, and it has a little more dry extract. And that wine's going to turn into something, I think, slightly gamey. The Closure Dan, Wismer Park, maybe not Lowry because it's lower alcohol. I think that these wines at five years old are going to be super interesting from the hotter year. They, they age on different uh, on different facets of their personality. You guys, did you go? I, I'm dying for you to to go back to uh, Lowry, see if you see any more the old vines, and then pop all the way back to the Wismer Park, not the Wild West, oh, but nice. from Lowry all the way back to the Wismer Park. And do you see that either bit of iodine, bit your tongue, bit your cheek, steak tartare in Lowry? Sorry, in Wismer Park after tasting Lowry. Well, I went quickly back to the uh, Lowry as you asked us to. Uh, I find the nose is starting to open up uh, a little bit more. Uh, I hadn't gone back to the Wismer Park because I cannot. Uh, sorry, yeah, the Wismer Park because I cannot get over the Wild Wild West, and uh, that's that's going to be stuck in my head uh, for the rest of the evening because that, to me, uh, as far as these four wines go at this moment is probably the best of these four wild west you know what michael and i it's not I, I, and we've done a lot of these with thomas now but i don't think we've both completely come to the consensus this quickly but wild west is head and shoulders above um above the rest here uh but i mean the lot oh. It's hard to pick a favorite, but I mean... I, no, but right now, you're allowed to say... I picked you're a favorite. always allowed to say. I picked a favorite. But, it's fine. 
No, but I mean, it's fun. That's for right now. And the one you buy, I, I love to use the anecdote or the idea that if somebody's waffling and you say, which one of these four wines, any wines, four Chiantis, you know, four Bartolinos, and you say, which one would you take? And they go, I take this one to age and I take this one for right now. I said, I didn't ask you that. There's somebody at your door with a case of 12 for free. And the UPS drivers, their hands are trembling because it's so heavy. There can only be 12 bottles in that box, and they're all for free. Which ones you're taking? Wild you West. have to reach out and take Wild it. West, Wild West, Wild West. Yeah. Yeah, it's definitely the Wild West. Yeah. yeah. For me, for me, it's just because it's one of my lifetime's great honors. It has to be the 84. My mentor, Carl Kaiser, had this planted for him. And this was the wine that that uh that made us do red wine in niagara because we were doing chardonnay and as andre knows very well michael you know too but but andre's doing it in barrel you press the chardonnay you get into barrel you hope like hell the wild yeast takes off and you can come back like literally two months later if your barrel selection is well chosen you have somebody following the sugars blah 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 but making red wine in all three countries really seriously started to cost me some airplane tickets, you know. And in a in, in, in a post-Greta universe, a COVID universe, I'm glad I'm just doing Niagara, but we made the decision long before then. But we didn't want to do Pinot in Niagara because Pinot is a 15 to 20-day maceration minimum. If I have that in each country with Oregon and Burgundy, the, the math starts not to work in certain years. And so... There was two years in a row where I had to go twice to Burgundy, twice to Oregon, and twice to Niagara just to get the primary ferments finished. I'm like, this is not a sustainable model in certain years. And Wes Lowry, Wilma Lowry called up Mary and said, you have 800 kilos. Come get them now. And Mary's like, "Uh, my husband's in Oregon, and uh, we're not making red wine in Niagara. That should have been her answer. Instead, her answer was, I'll be right over, Wilma. <laughs> and she got those grapes and she sorted them. And 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 uh, Wes uh, lent us a bin, uh, one of those uh, blue bins that hold 800 kilos. And we got our two barrels of Lowry 11. And the rest is history. And now we're making eight different Pinots and like six different Gamets. And it all started with... with um, with Wilma saying, you get your butt over here and get these grapes. And we said, yes. So that was for today. Yeah. If I have to take a case, I want the 84. I have so much admiration for all these wines because of where they come from, because of what they've done. They're like my kids. But, but you know, I think they're all going to morph big time. You know, when you go back to Wismore or Wismore Wild West, I'm uh, sorry, Wismore Park Wild West End, do you see the more rusty uh, uh savory thing i'm talking about the, the irony thing almost after lowry i have to admit i i don't thomas uh it's because i'm i just don't <laughs> what do you see though what do you see you see you see grittier tannins didn't you say something like that uh you know what i still find the uh, wild west very silky uh and uh... really really nice and i'm just gonna really quickly go to the uh the wismer park no, and you know what? I hesitate to say silk. I, I still stand by my my denim, my denim comment, but it's not it's not cheap denim. It's good denim. Uh, it's a yeah. I'm not seeing the the iron note, but we're just getting a little bit more. Not a little bit. We're getting a lot more depth from the Wild West tonight. I'm I'm sorry. I'm sorry, Thomas. Yeah. Sorry, it's, Thomas. Yeah, it's it's, it's only that, tonight. You know what? I think it, I think it's time to wrap Thomas up this time because I'm sure we can sit and, and retaste wines oh, all God. night. And then next week we're, we're going to wrap Chardonnay you up this again. time, but we're going to see you again next week when we're going to do Chardonnay. Oh my God! Yeah! And, um, Woo! Chardonnay! Chardonnay! Okay, I think we should probably. wrap I love this. it. Let's do it. I want to do. Uh, uh, is there any chance that we can? Uh, are we allowed to talk about the holidays during the Chardonnay deal? Definitely. Sure. Well, yeah. I think I think everyone needs the Christmas spirit. I'm not going to lie. I was feeling pretty down today. Like, I'm having a hard time with all this COVID stuff. And spending an hour and a half with you, Thomas, just... And, unfortunately, you, Michael, as well, just put me in a better mood. 
I, I'm and me know. too, you guys. I, I broke three glasses before we got online with one sweep of the hand, like a, a wild guy at a Henry VIII feast. But I do want to say that, no, I agree with both you guys for your love of, of Wismer Park West. What I was trying to say is the case was handed to you tonight. You took that. I took the Lowry 84. Nobody had to give the reasons whether it was for tonight or because they're going to slam the whole thing in their cellar. It's just an instinctive uh I'll marry her like I did with Mary. And all right, so- all right. I'm, ca- I'm, cu- I'm cutting the tape. I'm cutting the tape or this will just go on all night. <laughs> okay, tape is cut, and uh, we'll talk to you next week, Thomas. You know, I wasn't bullshitting about the fact that, like, I've just been – I'm not going to lie. I'm completely burned out. Like, uh, you know, we've talked about it on the podcast before, but my day job is exhausting. Um a couple of weeks ago, we, you know, we did the press conference with the new modeling data and it just, it just got to me. Like, you know, I, I was hoping to see my family for Christmas this year and we've already, you know, resigned ourselves to the fact that that's not happening. So, you know what, Michael, um, thank you for being you. Uh, I'm not going to lie. The podcast today with you and Thomas really just like it, it, you know, it didn't fill my gas tank, but like you gave me another like 50 kilometers to go so I can get to the next gas station. So uh, I, I hope people enjoyed listening to this. Well, Andre, I really don't know where to go with that. Uh, you know, it's really, really sweet of you. And I, 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 you know, I feel for you when you're, you, you've got that, that job that really just, you know, it's, it's a, it's, it's got its fun moments. But like when we're in the moments that we're in now, it's not so fun. So I, I really don't uh, I don't envy you what you're doing. But I, I really enjoy uh, talking with you and Thomas, even though he just still he's he'd sent a t- an email early. He goes, we'll try and keep it to 40 minutes. Yeah, not, no not happening. You, you and I, like, we were even talking about like dinner plans, like when the the time of the podcast moved, and it was just like we knew it was going to be a, a late night. Um, but I guess we can. Yeah, so I had to, I had dinner earlier, so that's why I did. We can. Uh, I guess we can wrap it up because we said everything we needed to say. We both came to consensus about the wines that we loved. Um, you know, uh, check out Psalm Blinders. The podcast came out last week. Uh, you know, a really really great gift for christmas we're not just saying this because uh we do make a few dollars if you do decide to buy the decks of cards but uh, so go to blindersgame.com and use the promo code 2gtw uh frankly it'll give you something to look forward to once uh you know the numbers look a little bit better with covid you can get some people together because um Honest, it was it was a lot of fun. It was a lot of fun to try to build your hand, even if you know a lot about wine. Just the challenge of putting the cards together to, um, uh, you know, blind taste the wine was a lot of fun. And you help support the making of this podcast, which you can also do at patreon.com slash two guys talking wine. I know this sounds more and more like an infomercial every time we do this, but we genuinely appreciate every bit of support that we do get because it isn't expensive to make this podcast. But there is a little bit of overhead, and you're helping us make sure that we get to continue to make great content. And we very much appreciate it. So I'm Andre Peru from uh, AndreWineReview.ca on social media at AndreWineReview. And definitely uh, check out my uh, side hustle at ADX Wines on Instagram. Um, we got some cool stuff going on, as you heard in this podcast. Thomas and I are both making a 2020 Wilms Vineyard Chardonnay. And I'm Michael Pingus of Michael Pingus Wine Review. Dot com, And it's the great guy on most social media, but Michael Pinkus still works too, I think, as far as I know. And as always, thank you for listening. We really appreciate it. Although we do know you probably have not much else to do. No, Good I night. mean, yeah. Oh, sorry, I stepped on your toes there, so good night. Yeah. Thanks, Andre. Thanks for listening. Please subscribe to Two Guys Talking Wine on iTunes.